Psalm 118, verse 15, it says, Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. We've been saying this that we believe at Church 1132 and through the scriptures that the people of God should be the most joyful people on the whole planet. No one should smile as big as we smile. No one should laugh as hard as we laugh. We should be full of joy. The Bible says shouts of joy resound in the tents of the righteous. Did you know as a son of God, as a daughter of God, joy is not a million miles away from you. It's not unattainable. In fact, it's your inheritance as a son of God. It's your inheritance as a son of God. It's your birthright. And uh, I, I, I've been telling people this this morning that, that did you know God is joyful? I think a lot of times we view God as like this stoic or grumpy old man who's just sitting on his throne waiting for you to mess up so that he can shame you about it. You know what the Bible says about God? In Zephaniah 3, the Bible says God dances over us. I'm going to tell you, church, God is having a blast. God has a smile on his face. The Bible says in Psalm 16, in his presence there is what? Fullness of joy. Why would there be fullness of joy in his presence if he was grumpy? You ever been on a vacation and there's one grumpy person in the room and it ruins it for everybody? Why? Because you'll often take on the characteristics of the people you're in the presence of. And so if I get in his presence and it causes me to receive joy, that shows me that God is overflowing, not with frustration, but with joy. The Bible says this in, John, in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 4. John tells us why the Bible was written, why the scripture was written. He says, we are writing these things to you so that your joy may be full. The word of God is not a weapon that we use to bruise the world. The word of God is not something that is there to make you feel shame. The Bible says that this word is a treasure map to something called joy. And so you are called to joy. Joy is available to you. God is a God of joy. But I found that oftentimes people live in the tension of two realities. Number one, I know joy is available. But reality number two, life is not making it easy to have joy right now. Reality number one, joy is available, but life is dark. Life is messy. Joy is available, my kids are crazy. Joy is available, my life is spinning. And we oftentimes live in the tension of these two realities, and people ask the question, what do I do when life does not make it easy to have joy? And today we're going to look at two characters in a familiar passage of Scripture that gives us a recipe. How do I keep joy when it's dark in my life? And the main characters of our story today go by the name of Paul and Silas. They're familiar characters. Let me give you the background on them real quick. Paul, who was formerly known as Saul, used to be a, uh, used to martyr Christians, used to kill Christians, and Paul was radically transformed on the road to Damascus. He writes two-thirds of the New Testament and becomes an apostle. Uh, then we've got Silas, on the other hand, who was a leader and a teacher in the Jerusalem church, and one day Paul's about to go on his second missionary journey to spread the gospel. And Paul 
Paul looks at Silas and he says, you're coming with me. Now, we don't know if Silas had a choice. We don't know if there was dialogue. Paul just hand-selected Silas and said, let's go. And Silas didn't know what he was getting into. Because not, soon, not too long after that, Paul and Silas were preaching the gospel. They were demonstrating the power of God. And how many of you know, not everyone's going to be super excited for you to function in your purpose. <laughs> not everyone's going to be as excited as you are about the thing God has called you to do. So they go to preach, excited to share this message. But then the people that they are preaching to disagree with the message. So they take them, they arrest them. And on that really positive note, as we engage in the summer of joy, is where we will pick up our text today. In Acts chapter 16, verse 22, it says, The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. Side note on this, Jewish tradition had a limit for how many times a prisoner could be beaten. They would say it was 40 stripes minus one. They believed that 40 stripes was the amount of stripes that it would take to kill a man, so they would bring them right to the edge of death. But Romans didn't have any law. Romans were just like, uh, like gangsters, like we're going to give you as many beatings as we feel like you need. Some of my, like my mama was that way, okay? My mama was like a Roman. And, and so, and they would, and so there's no telling how long Paul and Silas were beat in this moment. But all we know is verse 23 says, after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. And the jailer commanded, watch this, to guard them carefully. When they received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now pause for just a moment. Why the excessive security? These are just two regular Jewish men who had just been beaten senseless and they're put in prison and yet the enemy is saying, you've got to watch these guys closely. Why are they so excessive in the amount of security for these two men? And I'll tell you why. Because the enemy has learned over the years that anybody who serves this God is not going to stay stuck for very long. I can take you all the way back to Exodus and it was the Israelites who were imprisoned by Egypt, but come on, Egypt could not hold them. It was Daniel Daniel in a lion's den, but the lions could not kill him. It was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in a fiery furnace, but the furnace could not burn them. It was Jesus who was put in a grave, but on the third day, they found out that the grave could not hold him. So the reason why the attack was so great is because they knew these men serve an escape artist. The reason why the attack has been so great on your life is not because you're bad. It's not because you're doing anything wrong. It's because the devil knows that you bear the DNA of a chain breaker. You bear the DNA of the one who shuts the mouths of the... Come on, can we praise God? We're going to get rowdy today. You bear the DNA of the Son of God. So the reason why there's been an excessive attack is because the enemy's getting nervous. Next time life starts getting more chaotic, don't get mad at yourself. Don't shake your fist at God. Look down at the devil and say, you're getting nervous, huh? See, see, the attack on your life is actually an indication that he's intimidated. And more than that, it's a prophetic declaration that you're about to experience breakthrough like never before. This is good news for people like me who have been having some chaos go on in their life. Can we talk to some real people in this place? I know you came with your church face. I know you came with your smile. But is anybody willing to be honest enough and say it's kind of been dark lately? And the good news is the enemy is more scared than he's ever been because God God's about to break out in a way that he never has. If you believe it, say yes. 
Verse 25, I gotta finish the text. It says this, about midnight, say midnight, so it's never been darker. It, it's, it's never been darker. I feel like there's a lot of people in this room who are in midnight seasons, dark seasons, heavy seasons. And here's the thing about midnight is some of you know it and some of you have been so accustomed to the dark that your eyes have adjusted and what, has, what used to be midnight has now become normal. And God wants to break those chains off of you today. It says, at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And at once all the prison doors flew open. And everyone's chains were were loosed. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison door open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Now, this seems excessive, but it was Roman culture that if, a, that if a, someone who was guarding the jail cell allowed for prisoners to escape, they were, it was punishable by death. So he said, I would rather take myself out than suffer at the hand of the Romans. And so he draws his sword uh, to kill himself and... And then Paul shouts out to him in verse, uh, where is it, 26. He says, suddenly there was a violent earthquake and the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open. The jailer called for the lights, verse 29, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Verse 31, they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him to all the others in his household. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. And immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into the house and set a meal before them. Remember that psalm, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. I want to preach just for a few moments a message to you entitled Midnight Miracles. Midnight Miracles. Miracles. You know, it's very easy to have joy when everything's going right, isn't it? And maybe some of you like, man, we've been in this summer of joy and my life has not made it easy to have joy. It's easy to have joy when everything is sunrise and sunsets and clear skies and bonuses and butterflies. And it's easy when life is good, but what do I do when I'm in prison? What do I do when I'm attacked? What do I do when the enemy puts me in a jail cell? And the beautiful thing about this story is Paul and Silas give us a recipe for breakthrough. Are you ready for breakthrough? This is the first thing that I want you to see. The Bible says Paul and Silas started praising God at midnight. Can you say midnight? Midnight, and I started looking up what would midnight mean to this culture. I was looking it up in, in, the, in the Greek lexicon, and, and midnight, they would have identified midnight as three different things. Number one, it was the time of death. Number two, it was the time for deeds of sin and shame. Number three, it was the time of moral stupidity and darkness. Honestly, not a lot has changed about midnight. The world called this the time of death. Culture called this the time of death. 
Certainly the enemy was declaring over Paul and Silas, this is the time of death. But Paul and Silas decided, we're going to label this season with something different. Paul and Silas said, this is not the time of death. This is the time to worship. And here's the first thing that I want you to know. If you're going to have joy in your midnight season, you've got to understand that there is power in a name. I'm not talking about the power of the name of Jesus. I'm talking about there is power in the names that you attach to the seasons that you walk through. If you've lived for more than a couple of years, you have learned that you cannot control the seasons of your life. But I'm here to tell you, you can name the seasons of your life. You cannot control what happens to you, but you do have the ability to label what happens to you. James 1-2 says, count it all joy when you face various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. You have the ability to name your seasons. See, God is the author, and he doesn't let you write the book. <laughs> he doesn't let you write all the details of the book called your life, but he does allow you to name the chapters. So the question today is, how have you been labeling your chapters? How have you been labeling your midnight season? And I found that many times in the church, we will put a label on it like this is a dry season. This is a sad season. This is a confusing or a shameful season. I'm in a season where God is not speaking. It's midnight, the time of death. It's midnight, the time of brokenness. The, the name that you attach to something is powerful. I don't know about you, but it, it kind of scares me um, that just anybody on the planet can, one, have a kid, and two, name a kid. I, I don't know if you've ever been talking to a grown adult, and you've been like, you have the ability to procreate, and that terrifies me. I know this is the way the culture has always been, that the parents get to choose the name of the children, but the names are getting so out of hand that I feel like there needs to be like one line of defense. Like the nurse can start just being like, no, I don't think so. Like, or like a next of kin has to be in the room and sign off on the name. I say that because I was reading about the most ridiculous names given to kids in preparation for this message, and I read a story about a mom who named her daughter Portabella. Like the mushroom. And what parents don't understand is that one day, little Portabella is <laughs> not going to be a tiny little mushroom. She's going to grow up to be a full-grown mushroom. One day, this lady is going to be 30 years old. She's going to have to walk into a job interview, shake somebody's hand, look an employer in the eye, and, says, and say, hello, my name is Portabella. So what I'm saying is I think we just need to give a little bit more thought to the names that we attach to our kids. We've got to give a lot more thought to the names we attach to our seasons. I think that we've forgotten that life and death is in the power of the tongue. And the joy that you feel in this season has little to do with the fact that it's midnight and everything to do with the label that you put on midnight. I remember it was January or February of 2020 and I started getting this sickness and I just thought it was uh, a bad case of the flu and uh, I, it was terrible. I was in my bed for multiple days and my wife is the most incredible person on the planet. I love her with all my heart but in every marriage there's one or two, one of the spouses is zero percent compassionate when the other person is sick. 
My wife does not care. If I, like, I could be on my deathbed and she'll be like, I wish men could just give birth once. I wish that they, I wish that they, I wish they had to go through it one time. I just wish, I wish. Like the doctor could be like, ma'am, she's dying. And she'd be like, yeah, oh, he's always dramatic when he gets a cold. Every time, every time. He <laughs> Again, she loves me very much. But in every marriage, there's one of those people that's not compassionate. So I was sick for multiple days, and I was just like, man, this, is, this seems a little bit more intense than, than other sicknesses that I've had. But thank God, a few days later, I got better. But about a month later, I started hearing about this virus that was spreading across the nation called the coronavirus, called COVID-19. And it was all that you heard on the news, COVID-19, coronavirus, quarantine. Is anybody feeling trauma rise up in their chest right now? And I remember it was like panic hit the whole nation. And I'm scared. I'm confused. What's going to happen to my kids? Are my, is my family going to be okay? But I learned later that I actually had the sickness in January. What was interesting is it wasn't scary to me before it had a name. It was scary to me once we attached a name to it. Why? Because when you put a name on something, it causes it to have an additional level of weight. What are you naming your midnight season? What labels are you putting on your chapter? Because you cannot control what happens to you, but you do get to look at the prison cell and say, this is either going to be labeled as a prison season or this is going to be labeled as a worship and breakthrough season. You have naming rights. You get to choose that. Many people, they will look at this season. They will say, it's a terrible season. It's a dark season. This is a season called, it's over. This is a season called, it's dark. This is a season called, I'm done. And the scripture comes in in the book of James. It says, no, 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 you have naming rights. So instead of calling this the season where you lost something, call this the season where you learned something. Instead of calling this the season where you are broken down and discouraged, call this the season where God was faithful. Instead of calling this the season where that person left, call this the season where God prunes you so that you could be more fruitful than ever before. You have naming rights over your seasons. What are you labeling your seasons with? See, Paul and Silas did not just label their season differently, but they identified themselves differently. They said, I'm not going to be a prisoner. I'm going to be a worshiper. And in every season, you've got to choose, am I going to lean into the identity of this prison or lean into the identity that no matter what my circumstances are, I can still bless him and give him praise. The scripture says, Paul and Silas started praising at midnight. What do I need to do if I'm going to keep joy in the middle of midnight seasons? Of course, I've got to learn how to name it correctly. But another thing I want you to see about the scripture is that it was not just Paul. It was not just Silas. It was Paul and Silas. Here's what I want to let you know. There's power in community. There is strength in community. I was reading this scripture, and I felt like God asked me this morning, can you find the moment where the devil made a mistake? And I'm reading through the story. He beat, he beat them. He stripped them. He put them in prison. Pretty flawless attack. He beat them. He stripped them. He put them in prison. He beat them. He stripped And if you, you could read it a thousand times and see this seems like a flawless execution if the enemy was a trying to attack somebody. The moment that the enemy made a, st- a mistake was when he put Paul and Silas in the pr- same prison cell. 
Because what the devil failed to understand, what the devil failed to remember is that when two or three are gathered in his name, his presence is there. What the devil forgot was that when two or three agree as touching one thing, it shall be done. What the devil's forgotten about your life is when he puts you in this community, when he puts you in this room, he was setting you up for a breakthrough. Come on, can we praise him? If you believe it, there's power in community. Let me unpack this for you for a moment because this was not the first time the devil attacked through imprisoning somebody. You remember John the Baptist. John the Baptist was imprisoned for preaching the gospel. He was persecuted and, and John the Baptist got so discouraged in that prison cell. You can go back and read it. John the Baptist got so discouraged that he started doubting the very thing that God had called him to do. John the Baptist said with his own words, is Jesus the Christ or should I look for another? And unfortunately, John the Baptist dies in this state of doubt. Why is it that John the Baptist died in doubt and Paul and Silas got a miracle? Because one of them was isolated and the other one had community. And here's what Jesus said of John the Baptist. Hear this. Jesus said of John the Baptist that no man has ever been greater born among women than John the Baptist. And the moral of the story is it really doesn't matter how great you are. If you are isolated, isolation will be the death of you. So I've got to find people to lock arms with. I gotta find people to pray with. Community will keep you when the clock strikes midnight. You've got to stay planted in community because there is strength in community. Well, Jesus is all I need. No, 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 it was Paul and Silas. It was Peter, James, and John. It was David and Jonathan. It's Batman and Robin. It's Jim and Pam. I'm making sure that you're listening. Those are not biblical characters. You need to add an and to your life if you're going to stay planted in midnight seasons. A lot of people think it's the jail cell that's gonna kill them. It's actually the isolation that the jail cell brings that kills you. A lot of people think it's the flogging that's gonna kill you, the pain of life, the bankruptcy, the moment that hits you upside the head and you didn't see it coming. A lot of people think it's the flogging that's gonna kill you when in reality, it is the wounds that cause you to shame, that cause you to isolate, that will kill you. It is not the darkness of midnight that will, I feel the spirit of God, it's not the darkness of midnight that will kill you. It is the darkness that invites you into a place of aloneness, and isolation that will kill you. And I'm here to tell you, it is more detrimental to be alone than to be attacked. I remember I was driving down 75. I saw one of the most ironic things in my life. I looked over this woman driving 75 miles per hour and I see her sitting in her car by herself wearing a mask. I remember thinking, I don't think you're at risk of infecting anybody and I don't think you're at risk of getting infected sitting in your car alone. Here's what got really ironic about it is she was texting and driving. <laughs> she, she was guarding herself from something that was not a threat while participating in something that could actually be detrimental to her life. And I found that a lot of Christians are doing this. Like, we can laugh at that story, but we guard ourselves from the darkness of our season while we text and drive, a.k.a. get isolated, and it's not the jail cell that kills you. It's the isolation that kills you. See, Elijah was running for his life from Jezebel. 
And there was a moment where Elijah was running. And before Elijah goes into the cave and isolates himself, the Bible says he left his servant there. The funny thing about it is later on, Elijah began complaining about how he was alone. You left him and then complained about the loneliness. But the reality is Jezebel was never a threat. It was the isolation that caused Elijah to doubt his calling. So you've got to stay planted in community. You've got to lock arms with believers that know how to pray with you. Get around some people who can talk some sense into you and remind you of the scripture. Get around some people that can speak faith over you. See, I think if Paul was placed in the prison cell with somebody who was negative, I don't know if they would have got a miracle. Who are you surrounding yourself with? Get with people who are willing to look at the clock, see that it's midnight, look at the darkness and say, we're still gonna praise God even in the midst of this. Come on. Get planted in community. Now this is where the message gets really, really fun because this is where we get to talk about the power that is in your praise. How do I keep joy in my midnight season? I've got to name the season, right? I've got to stay planted in community. I don't leave church when life gets hard. I stay planted in church when life gets hard. I don't isolate. I join a small group. I don't walk away. I start serving. I stay planted in community. But here's the third thought I want to share with you. You've got to understand that there's power in your praise. I recently heard about a study that communicated this, that it is impossible to access the part of your brain that processes anxiety and the part of your brain that processes gratitude at the same time. So you actually have to choose in every season which part of my life am I going to access. There's power in your praise. See, it was the moment that Paul and Silas started praising that the chains started to shake. It was the moment that they started praising that something started to shift and the earth started to quake. It was the moment that they started praising. There's power in your praise. There's power in you lifting up the name of Jesus. The Bible says, let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. And you never should underestimate the power of lifting up the name of Jesus when you're in a, dark, in a dark season. I think it's really easy for us to read this scripture where it says Paul and Silas were praising at midnight. We're like, wow, that's so powerful. It's so amazing. But if you and I were to actually insert ourselves into the narrative for a moment, think about this. This was not a worship service at church 1132. This was not revival night, which is happening tonight at 7 p.m. for the young adults plug. This was, this was not a hyper-spiritual moment. This is a bunch of prisoners who are on death row discouraged. And there Paul and Silas are just singing their hearts out. If I'm there in the room, if I'm being honest, I'm probably going, hey, Paul, Silas, read the room. Read the room. Have you ever met somebody that cannot read the room? It's like the person, you're at the restaurant and uh, the music goes down and they keep talking loud and you're like, yo, shh, hey, it's okay. <laughs> it's the person that's like full of energy at 5 a.m. It's like there, there, there's, there's oftentimes people in our lives that cannot read the room. So I would tell you this, in leadership, you need to learn to read the room. In relationships, you need to learn to read the room. And in social settings, you need to learn to read the room. But in midnight seasons, the last thing you need to do is read the room. 
if, if Paul and Silas read the room and then adapt to it, then their response is going to be discouragement and brokenness. So Paul and Silas take their eyes off of the room and put their eyes on the one who can do something about the room that they're in. We have become professional room readers, and we'll look around this room here in a few moments. Is everyone going after God? If not, then I'm out. Are other people hungry? If not, then I'm out. And if Paul and Silas read the room, they stay in the prison cell. If David reads the room, friends, he never fights Goliath. If Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego read the room, they bow down like everybody else. And so God is not looking for people who read the room and adapt to the culture. He is looking for people to take their eyes off of the chains and off of the prison cell and off of the midnight season and look up at the God who can actually do something about it. So what a lot of people do is they say, God, as soon as you break my chains, then I'll worship you. But in the story, praise is what broke the chains. You gotta hear me on this. There's a lot of people, God, as soon as you wow me, then I'll worship you. You heal me, I'll worship you. If you bless me, bless me, then I'll worship you. And a lot of people are sitting back waiting for God to release his power. And God is sitting in heaven waiting for you to release praise. Because my praise was never intended to be a response to his miracles. My praise initiates miracles. My praise was never intended to be a response to his presence. My praise initiates and releases the presence of God. I remember I was at a Mavs game in this spiritual moment. Let's just talk about it. I was at a Mavs game, and they started naming the players one by one. And they would name a player, and people would shout. Name another starter, and people would shout. But then they named one particular name. And at the Mavs stadium, they would call this the name above every name. <laughs> they named the name Luca. Doncic and the entire room erupted with this insane level of praise. There were grown men crying, saying, if only I could touch the fringe of his garment, then I would be made well. They were looking around talking about Hosanna, Hosanna. I'm just kidding. But there, I mean, there was like a level of praise that I was like, this is mind blowing. And here's what challenged me is he hadn't scored a point yet. He didn't have one rebound. He didn't have one assist. The reason why they were giving him praise was not because what he was doing in that current moment, but because of what he had done in the past. And some of you are looking at your midnight season. You're saying, I don't have a reason to praise. And God is saying, I wish you'd go all the way back to the moment where I rose from the grave. Go all the way back to the moment where I healed you. Go all the way back to the moment where I delivered you. If you don't have a reason to praise right now, look back at what he's done and give him praise in this room. Stand to your feet all across this room.